so grateful for, uh, for Bill and his friendship in my life and for his gift that he is to this church and uh, excited for you to hear what Bill has to, to preach. I get the, the blessing of hearing this man twice and it's a good one. Let me pray for us this morning. God, Lord, thank you for Bill. Lord, thank you for uh, his faithfulness. Lord, but we really praise you for the, the fact that we have your word. Lord, that it speaks to us, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, I just pray, would you pierce our souls this morning? God, change us, shape us. Would you help us to listen carefully to the words that Bill has for us today, that we would leave this place and be changed in you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thanks, Thank brother. You, brother. Thirteenth chapter of Luke's Gospel. We'll read to you verses six through nine. He spake also this parable. Certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. The year is 1618, the place, Bohemia. An angry mob of riotous rebels is marching through the streets of Prague. Armed and dangerous, they cross the courtyard of Prague's main castle and they storm up the stairs of the high tower where there are four counselors of the king who are discussing the crisis. The mob crashes down the door and crams into the small room. These terrified officials flatten themselves against the wall, begging to be allowed to leave. Two of them are released. The other two, however, are forced to remain along with one of their servants. And then someone in the crowd yells, throw them out the window, and the mob cheers with enthusiastic agreement. And one at a time, these government administrators are hauled to the sill and shoved out the window, and they fall 70 feet to the ground. This event came to be known as the defenestration of Prague, and it was an open act of uh, defiance against the king. It marked the beginning of the bloody and pointless 30 years war during which quite a few noblemen and thousands upon thousands of peasants died. By the end of the war, no one could actually remember why they had been fighting in the first place. 
and things more or less return to the way they were before. But here's the remarkable part of the story. None of those three men died from that fall, which most assuredly should have killed them. As a matter of fact, they were not even hurt in the slightest way. All three got up and scampered off to safety. How in the world did that happen? Well, the king's explanation was simple. A miracle. The frantic prayers of the doomed men had been heard in heaven and angels had been sent to lower the deputies gently to the ground. Those on the king's side were convinced this provided incontrovertible proof of just whose side God was on. Well, the other side, however, after careful examination of the scene, discovered the actual explanation. It involved something far less miraculous than an angelic intervention. This colossal castle complex was occupied by hundreds of officials and courtiers, administrators and servants. And for decade after decade, they were in the habit of emptying their chamber pots out of the tower's windows. And so over the years, there was this profuse pile of excrement that accumulated. And guess what? That pile was at the precise place where those officials landed after being thrown out that window. Splat. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt that landing was a little less than pleasant. But their fall was so cushioned that they not only escaped death, they weren't even injured. Moral of the story, landing in a big pile of you-know-what is not necessarily the worst thing that can ever happen to you. In fact, it might be the best thing, a blessing. Edward Roy had a problem. Earthy, but not exactly earth-shattering. It's not really very enjoyable talk right by before lunch, but this problem was big enough to make this man struggle through a few sleepless nights. He ran a lowly business, Jiffy John's of Pompano Beach, Florida. 500 portable toilets for rent. Band concerts, construction sites, church picnics, outdoor gatherings of any size could rent his product. But that wasn't Ed's problem. As expected, when he started his business back in the 1970s, there were lots of folks in Florida who needed a place to be all alone to answer a nature call when they were caught in the open. And so, rentals were up, and that's good. But now he had to figure out what to do with all that sewage. That was Ed's problem. Now, many a man would have just thrown up his hands in resignation and spent half his profit to get somebody to haul off his product's product. Not Ed Roy. Had to be a better way. Now in search for a solution, Ed Roy invented a solar heating process that turned raw sewage into fertilizer. Now the energy required for the process came from the sun, so there's no power bill, and his raw material was free. No, actually, think about this. 
he was being paid to be supplied with his raw material. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen, if you can come up with a marketable product that costs little to produce and people will pay you to supply you with your raw material, folks, that is a sure fire recipe for business success. In a very short time, Ed Roy was making big bucks. But Ed didn't rest on his toilet seats. He didn't see any reason why what worked for a portable toilet wouldn't work for a municipality. And so Jiffy Johns expanded and became Jiffy Industries. For collateral, Ed Roy put up everything he owned, including his 500 portable toilets. He borrowed enough money to make a down payment needed to build three sewage treatment facilities at $4 million apiece. His new company charged Florida cities a big fat fee to handle their raw sewage. And you know what? They were more than happy to pay him to do it because after not, after all, all that you know what has got to go somewhere. Ed took the raw sewage after being paid to do it and he turned it into fertilizer, which he then sold for a handsome profit. With a setup like that, making a fortune was guaranteed. We could say that Edward Roy literally turned a problem into a product. And what a product. Jiffy Industries stock turned in the year's best performance on any American stock exchange back in 1983. It rose from 92 cents a share when it first went on sale to a whopping $16.50 in one year. That is a spectacular 1,693% gain. Back in 1983, one reputable stock broker predicted that the stock would be selling for over $25 a share within the first six months of 1984. He was wrong. It was selling for nearly $50 a share. And over a little time after several stock splits and then eventually selling his company, Edward Roy left this earthly life a very wealthy man. Gross as it may seem, I doubt I will ever forget the problem that Edward Roy had with his Johns. According to Ed himself, and I'm gonna clean this up, it was a pile of you know what that forced him to become a phenomenal inventor, an extraordinary businessman, a financial financier remarkable, not to mention wealthy, and Ed insisted that it was a pile that made it all possible. He would have missed it all, he said, if it weren't for the pile. For Ed Roy, just like three Bohemians back in the 1600s, it was a pile of you-know-what that turned out to be the very best thing that ever happened to him. Now, maybe some of you sitting here this morning are insulted and offended by the subject matter so far. Maybe you're thinking, hey, young, really? I mean, we know you're just an Appalachian wood hick, hayseed hillbilly redneck from West Virginia. But for the pulpit, 
Is this acceptable and appropriate? Assuredly, it is. I want you to ponder this parable that Jesus tells about the fig tree. Here's a tree that has been carefully nurtured by a gardener for three years and it won't bear any fruit. And so the master and owner of the vineyard wants to just cut it down. But his gardener intervenes. Let's give it another year. I'll dig around it and I'll place it right in the middle of a pile of you know what. And then let's see if it'll bear fruit. Do you get it? If you have not already, in our minds, let's shovel all this over into the realm of spiritual life formation, consecration, genuine discipleship. It goes like this. To promote some fruit production instead of just consumption, master and gardener are going to provide some motivation for maturation using manure to get the job done. You see why? It's because for so many of us, our personal relationship with the Lord and Savior resembles this fig tree. It's all about consumption. There's no production. And to be truly, uh, brutally honest, to be totally transparent, life's all about me. Everyone, everything else is consumed in the quest for happiness, fulfillment, and contentment. Such an existence reveals an attitude and probably even a prayer life that reflects a desire for emotions and situations that are perpetually pleasant and pleasurable. We want life to be full of fun, frolic, and festivity. We don't really want a Lord and Master. We'd prefer a celestial Santa Claus, a cosmic bell hop who will fulfill our selfish little want lists. What we really want is a concierge Christ, a vacation planner Jesus who guarantees life will always be jolly and skies sensationally sunny continuously. Is that true of you? True of me? Go take a look at your prayer list. See if it doesn't look like an eight-year-old's Christmas wish list for Santa. You know what the problem is? Life's just not like that. Ever. And coming to faith in Jesus Christ won't make it like that either. Regardless of what book or CD or DVD or preacher that tries to convince you otherwise. Nope. Reality is sooner or later life turns sour, sinister, sordid. It stinks. Eventually, inevitably, unavoidably, the time comes when life's going to smell like a Florida outhouse in August. 
We're told the world to come will be perfect. Guess what? This one's not. It's broke. And between the two, between the what is now and the what will one day be, in the meantime, it's a mean time. And typically, here's what happens to somebody who's only got a faith in a vacation planner, Jesus. They go through a series, a succession of D words. Disappointment, disillusionment, depression, and then despair. And it might even turn to disgust. You can just take this Christianity thing and flush it. Here's what needs to be understood. Those moments when life doesn't seem to be working out as it should or the way we want it to, those moments when we are bitterly disappointed or when unexpected trials and troubles and tribulations and temptations come knocking on our door, even those moments when we experience pain, grief, even loss, all of these are not an indicator that God's plan has failed. These moments do not suggest that the Almighty has forgotten us. They don't reveal that God's unfaithful to his promises or that God plays favorites. These moments don't demonstrate that God doesn't care or that sometimes he just doesn't bother to answer our prayers. Here's what you and I need to live in light of. These difficult moments of life are not the failure of God's plan. They do not thwart God's plan. They don't even get in the way of God's plan. They are God's plan. They're God's tools. They're God's resources. They're his raw material. They're the things he uses in our lives to make us bear fruit. Now, we need to be careful, cautious, because most of the time, God didn't make the mess. When you step in it or when you land in it, does God deserve the credit? Perhaps not. You know, here, just like in Jesus's parable, the gardener didn't make the manure either. But, and here's the point, he sure knows what to do with it. And let's observe the obvious. There's plenty of it around for him to use. Isn't that so? And he's going to try to use it. That gardener's going to try to use it to make that tree grow, make it produce some fruit. And guess what? That's exactly what our sovereign God tries to do in your life and in my life. I want you to carefully consider 2,000 years of Christian history. What is it about the disciples who made the greatest difference? I want you to stop and think about the followers of Jesus Christ who have made the biggest impact in your own life. What is it about them? Was life for them always a bed of roses? Was it sweetness, light? Probably not. Most probable is what all those people have got in common. A big pile. And yet they persevered. No, way more than that. Much, much more than that. They came to see 
and then to use that pile as one of the best things that ever happened to him. Let's ask ourselves, how are you and I going to develop a Christian witness that's so contagious and infectious that it's irresistible? How's that going to happen? How are we ever going to be a credible example of what it means to be a Christian? How will we ever bring glory to Almighty God in our Lord Jesus Christ and bear some real fruit? What in the world will make that happen? It all depends on what happens when the gardener tries to fertilize us. Apostle James put it this way. This is a living Bible. Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way's rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Strong in character. Full and complete. Author Scott Peck, M.D., wrote these words. It is in this whole process of meeting and solving problems that life has meaning. Problems are the cutting edge that distinguishes between success and failure. Problems call forth our courage and our wisdom. In fact, they create our courage and our wisdom. It is only because of problems that we grow mentally and spiritually. It is through the pain of confronting and resolving problems that we grow. People, here's the punchline. It's that putrid pile provided by the Prince of Peace that produces the progress. Did you get all those peas? Authentic Christian discipleship does not happen when God rains bling, bliss, and blessing down on us from on high. It happens from the bottom, from the bottom up. Let's pray. Folks, I'd like for you to Think about whatever it is in your life that represents your pile this morning. I know for some of you, you probably wish you weren't in the marriage you're in. Others of you probably wish you were married. Some of you think that if you only had a better job, life would be okay. Some of you think if I only had a job, life would be okay. 
For others, it might be a a wayward child. You tried hard as you could. And what a mess they've made. Lord God, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will work in our lives and help us to see that right here, right now, in the difficulties that we are facing, you are going to use that pile to make a saint out of us. Do that, God Almighty, in the lives of these, your people, We ask it in your holy name. Amen.